Yeah. And, you know, and I would say like a core one is the sort of de-emphasizing the kind of self-reliance and the desire to sort of be independent and actually work the dependency muscle. another episode of Dear Men. This one is super special because we're bringing in the big guns. We have an actual psychologist with us on the call. (laughs) I want to welcome Dr. Laura Casper to the podcast. She is in private practice in San Francisco and virtually with clients in other parts of California. And she's also one of my really good friends. So welcome to the podcast, Laura. I'm really glad to have you here. Mm, Thank you, Melanie. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really, um, I'm quite passionate about this subject because I feel like it's impacted my life personally, and it's something that I see kind of represented in the media. Um, you know, the sort of joke like all men have a fear of commitment. I actually mm-hmm. don't think that's true, and I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's gendered. That's something maybe we can explore, but I do think just the whole idea of commitment around relationships, especially romantic relationships is a big one. And I feel like it's Mm -hmm. sometimes misunderstood. So I'm excited to talk Mm -hmm. to you and really kind of shed some light on this subject. And for listeners, anyone who's listening, I'm really interested in your feedback and I'm interested in your experiences around this topic. So if you ever want to write in, it's dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. And I'm really, really looking forward to hearing from you. So um, there's a term that I've heard in the psychological community that's really impacted me. Um, And I'm hoping that we can kind of go over that and then sort of Mm -hmm. connect it to commitment. Um, Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to go through that first and then we'll see where we end up. So Mm -hmm. can you just talk to us a little bit about what what the fear of engulfment is? And let me just spell Mm -hmm. that for people because it's probably a new term. It's called the fear of engulfment, E-N-G-U-L-F-M-E-N-T, engulfment, which is like to be engulfed. So it's probably a new term for some of you, but it's something that's really impacted me and I feel like it's very related to this topic. So take it away, Laura. What is the fear of engulfment? Mm-hmm. So so the, the language of engulfment, you know, kind of losing yourself or being afraid of being smothered or sort of, you know, taken over by another. I mean, I think that's a that's that's a really, really common fear in relationship. And the way that I like to frame it is it, it it's part of our attachment system. So, you know, we all as human beings, we developed the ability to attach to other human beings as a way to help us survive. And the different forms, we there's different forms of attachment style. So some people, um, some people, 
form a secure attachment where they feel really comfortable with intimacy and they're sort of at ease with it. There's people who develop what we call an anxious attachment style where they like crave intimacy. They're kind of preoccupied by it. They're worried, you know, their partners are going to leave them. Their fear is actually of abandonment. Like that's more the sort of anxious kind of attached style. And then I think the fear of engulfment tends to show up in what we can, what we call the avoidant attached style, which sort of equates people who are avoidantly attached, they equate intimacy with the loss of independence. They try to minimize closeness and, you know, when, when, when it gets too kind of scary or a dangerous feeling um, and, and, you know, when they feel like they're going to be engulfed. So I feel like the fear of engulfment for me tends to be seen in someone that I experience who's got more of an avoidant type of attachment style. And some people can identify as anxious avoidant, right? That they have both behavior patterns. Because I would say if I was going to classify myself, I would be anxious avoidant. I wouldn't be Mm -hmm. only one or the other. And there's something else I want to just ask you about, which is this kind of thing, like fear of engulfment, this is not a conscious pattern all the time, right? Like we're not walking around being like, I'm afraid of intimacy. Like we might be walking around being like, oh, why am I not in a relationship? I wish I was in a relationship. Mm-hmm. But unconsciously, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. we're deeply afraid of, of what? What are we afraid of if this is showing up? Um, no, you're, you're right. It's not like people are walking around consciously saying, you know, oh my gosh, I'm so afraid to be... I'm so afraid to be engulfed or smothered. Um, I mean, ultimately, you know, it's it's a fear of of losing ourselves, you know, of sort of not actually, at least that's one way that I see that it sort of shows up. It's like a fear that like, I'm not going to exist. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to cease to exist in this, in relationship to another human being. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's something interesting about the, um, the term because so I'll just share my personal story that I told you right yeah. before the podcast. I think it's significant. I used to work to stop sexual abuse in the Jewish community when I was on the East Coast. And I attended mm-hmm. a number of conferences um with other practitioners in that field. And one of the conferences I attended, they had a psychologist talking about the different um, the, com- the different common relationship patterns that survivors mm-hmm. of sexual abuse will exhibit. Mm-hmm. I am not mm-hmm. a survivor of sexual abuse myself, but my mm-hmm. mom did have a personality disorder. And when yeah. the psychologist was presenting about fear of engulfment, I had mm-hmm. shivers down my spine. I was looking at the screen. Like I vividly remember everything about the room. I remember the color of the carpet. I remember that moment vividly. Because I think the fear of engulfment like explains some of my relationship patterns. And I didn't even know this was a thing. I didn't even know this existed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so th- the reason I wanted to clarify that unconscious bit or subconscious bit is because I wasn't like aware of that. But when I looked mm-hmm. back at, for example, my relationship history, I have spent most of my adult life single. I am mm-hmm. not a serial monogamist. I am not one mm-hmm. of those people that's always in a relationship. More of the time than not, I'm not in a relationship. And mm-hmm. this other pattern that I noticed was I seem to, like my nervous system seems to feel more comfortable with relationships when there's an expiration date. 
meaning yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm like traveling. So I'm leaving in a week or two, or yep. I'm, I've attracted guys who are there, they're leaving in a week or two or yeah. some kind of expiration or like I'm moving like, like a couple of times I've been moving in a few months and that's when I've met someone. And, yep. and, and I feel like for, for me, when I, you know, sort of explored the fear of engulfment and what that meant, I realized that I had a fear of the basically having to reject the other person that if I was mm-hmm. in a, like a relationship with someone in my area, you know, like all of that stuff, that if it didn't work out, I'd have to actually mm-hmm. see them and tell them it mm-hmm. wasn't working. And that would mm-hmm. entail like rejecting them and facing their rage at being rejected. Because I mm-hmm. think that my mom like would get mm-hmm. rageful when I would quote unquote reject her, which I wasn't really rejecting her, yeah. but you know, any, anything that she would interpret it that way. And so, um, I'm just wondering if you can speak to that a little bit of like, what is the person sort of like deep down afraid of? Is it always like losing themselves or does it also involve kind of other, other things as well? Yeah. Okay. So what you're talking about is, is kind of what are, what were some of the things that may have happened in somebody's history that that caused it to be that you're afraid you're going to lose yourself, right? So for you, you're, it sounds like you're describing, you know, you, you may have been trying to get some needs met or express something that you wanted to mom. And if mom, what, for whatever reason, mom like didn't want to do that, that stirred up something for her, she reacted in a rageful way. So you learned, okay, don't do that. Like, don't, don't express my need. Don't, you know, don't, don't, piss her off because otherwise, you know, it's dangerous for you. So, so I think that, you know, the fear of losing yourself is, can definitely come from a history of having parental or any kind of, you know, relational trauma in a close relationship um, where, you know, you sort of learn it's dangerous to need something or express a difference or, um, yeah, want something that's different than the other person wants. Yeah, and almost like um, it's almost like, especially we're, especially parent relationships because parent relationships are where attachment, most attachment forms. Uh, yeah, right. That's yeah. Yes. I would say, yes. especially with the parent thing, if if that is my experience, if that has been my experience of relationship. Like if my nervous mm-hmm. system is patterned on this relationship where it's kind of scary and mm-hmm. it's kind of uncertain and, you know, like I don't really always know what's going to happen, but sometimes I experience rage. Like if that's my pattern of relationship, it's not really a surprise that I've spent most of my life not in a relationship, right? No, not at all. Not at all. Versus yeah. maybe somebody with yeah. secure attachment doesn't have a fear of that, Right. Yeah. And the reason I'm right. bringing that up is because I I want to just talk quickly about the fear of commitment because I think there's a lot of judgment around that term, fear of commitment, mm-hmm. and I and I feel mm-hmm. often that it is gendered in the general understanding and like men are the ones with a fear of commitment and why can't he commit? Mm-hmm. Why is he afraid of commitment? Like, do you do you think that fear of commitment? is the same as fear of engulfment? And if not, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. 
I don't think it's the same as fear of engulfment. I think that I think the fear of engulfment or the you know the fear of getting that kind of rageful response, you know, in in relation to you know some kind of self-expression. I think that one of the one of what people do when they've got sort of a some aspect of avoidant attachment is that they have they have what we call deactivating strategies. So they, they've got strategies to sort of manage closeness, right? Like keep themselves at a distance so that they don't they don't risk losing themselves or being engulfed or the rage, right? Like it's like here's a strategy and and commitment, not committing is a strategy that people use to, to keep distance. So I, it's not the same thing as fear of engulfment. It's the strategy is don't be committed. And so then I won't be afraid of being engulfed. Mm, I see. So what are, out of curiosity, what are some of the other um, strategies? Sure. Um, things like, uh, you know, I don't know, kind of nitpicking imperfections in their partner or, um, you know, imagining that there's some perfect, you know, idealized, you know, partner, um, uh, or, or, you know, idealizing an ex that, you know, when, you know, when shown in the light of day, that ex actually wasn't really good for them, but, but they kind of idealize the ex and kind of compare the current person to that idealized ex. Um, you know, things like, you know, avoiding physical closeness, like not moving in together or, um, not sleeping over a lot when you're in the dating phase, just things that actually like physically keep distance of dating people who, um, you know, a, a deactivating strategy is dating people who don't, um, who are married, who can't, you can't be in a relationship with, who are, or aren't available in some way. Um, it's like the closeness, the, the, Closeness protection is just automatically there because they're moving or you're moving or they're married. Mm, yeah. So what you're saying is that one of the, what is it called? Avoidant, avoidant strategy? No. Deactivating. Deactivating. Yeah. Deactivating mm-hmm. strategies could be attracting unavailable people because then yes. we don't really have yes. to actually be in the relationship. <laughs> we right. Can, like, say that we want to be in the relationship without actually having to be in the relationship. Um, yes. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. I find I, I'm laughing because I find some of this kind of funny in that this is so subconscious. It's so unconscious. Ugh. It's not something. It is. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because it's, it, it, it can be, I would imagine, for example, I don't attract unavailable men like that are married or somehow unavailable. Right. But I would imagine if I was doing that, I would be like, Oh, like, why do I keep attracting these married guys? Like, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a subconscious unconscious thing that this, yeah. this thing is running underneath. So on the surface, mm-hmm. we're resisting it. Like we're fighting, like, why, like why? Or even, mm-hmm. I, you know, what you said about the fantasy woman or fantasy man really resonates with me in terms of my mm-hmm. work with men. I see a lot of the men that I work with having idealized mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. in their head, or they have mm-hmm. these super mm-hmm. crushes where they just mm-hmm. fantasize about this one person. But like you said, it feels to me like like a deactivating strategy where I'm like, if you keep going after these super crushes and by going after, I mean, not doing anything about it and just obsessing about her in your head, then you don't ever have to actually be in a relationship. Right. 
right? You get to avoid that part of it. Do you, I'm curious, like, is that, do you see that? Do you often see this in your practice as well? Oh, absolutely. Oh, 100%. I mean, I feel like I work with, I work with people with avoidant and anxious or some combination attachment styles all the time. Mm. And I guess that's, and and I would say, yeah, I would say, let me clarify. I see more anxiously, I've seen more mixed than like straight up avoidant because straight up avoidant also have trouble being in therapy. I mean, because it's, it's a commitment, it's a relationship. I mean, it's got all the things that, you know, are challenging for people who are avoidantly attached. Yeah, that's a really good point. And just one I want to like <laughs> throw in there is like, I think a lot of us think of a therapy relationship as sort of outside the zone of of reality, but a lot of the patterns that we have in our lives show up in a therapy relationship, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I just wanted to throw that out there. Like that's like completely normal. Like we think of it as this thing in this black box over here that has nothing to do with like the rest of our, of our relationship patterns, but we bring all of that to a therapy relationship. Oh, totally. I mean, some people, when I, you know, when I've worked with people who are avoidantly attached, the things like, um, you know, pulling away when things, you know, get too close between the two of us. I mean, something like, like that's a deactivating strategy. Like that totally happens in therapy. Um, Meaning like they start to cry and then they pull away from you or what does that look like? Well, yeah. Or like they'll start to cry or we'll have, we'll have a, we'll have some sort of emotionally close session. You know, they've been vulnerable. We've been close in some way. And then maybe the next session they cancel or they come really late for, or like there's some kind of pulling away or maybe, you know, the time doesn't work anymore. We've got to move the time. And so then we don't end up meeting for a few weeks. Um, that, that'll often happen. Right. And again, because it's subconscious or unconscious, they might be like, Oh, I had this work meeting. I just couldn't get out of it. Like they don't consciously know that this is what they're doing. It's not a conscious thing. It's like, Oh, this thing came up with my daughter in daycare and I just can't make it. Right. Yeah. Right. It's not like I'm feeling really vulnerable and I'm having like a vulnerability hangover and I can't do it. It's, 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 it's yeah. 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 Early. I mean, early on, I mean, if, if an, if somebody who's got an avoidant attachment style actually continues working with me, then we'll be, you know, we'll be trying to make those moments of closeness and intimacy and, you know, the, the desire to kind of deactivate and, and put a little distance. We'll start to make that stuff conscious, but at first, no, it's not conscious. That's a really good point. Cause I guess that's part of therapy is to bring all of this stuff. Yeah. To light. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. early in the therapeutic relationship versus later, it's going to make a difference. Yeah. Um, so in terms of how this impacts someone's sex and love life, can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about how this fear would, would show up? Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I mean, I think one way is, I mean, so I, I would say that people who people who are avoidantly attached, they tend to prefer kind of casual sex, you know, with multiple people than kind of sex with one person that gets really sort of intimate. Um, I mean, that's one way they they sort of I think that they'll manage it with relationship to sex. Um, you know, they I, they it's hard for them to hard for them to emotionally need their partner you know, like actually kind of say like they need something emotionally and they can be one of the ways they can be critical in relationship is when the partner is emotional and needs, you know, they can, they can kind of frame that as this person is needy or too emotional. 
um, you know, they're over, they're too dependent on me, like whatever the, you know, the kind of deactivating judgment is, um, you know, and that, and that obviously can be really hard. It's like, it's really hard for somebody who's afraid of being engulfed and so afraid to get close that when the partner wants to get close by, you know, speaking emotionally and sharing emotionally, like their, you know, their nervous system gets pretty, can get pretty activated by that. And so they want to do something to distance. Yeah. That's really interesting that you mentioned that about the criticism thing, that one of the deactivating strategies is to basically criticize your partner. Mm-hmm. And is the, is the hope there, the unconscious hope is like, I'm going to tell her she's doing it wrong so that she will push me away and then I won't have to feel the closeness. Yeah. Yeah. Or she'll go away. You know, it's like, Oh, maybe she'll just, she'll just go away or he'll go away because you know, there was an ouchie there, you know, so Mm -hmm. they'll back off for a little bit. So, and you know, and, and what, you know, people who are avoidantly attached, which is, this is the category we're talking about. I mean, their, their attachment system is still working. Like they still, they, there's a part of them that still wants closeness. So, um, you know, they want it. They just feel conflicted about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like they don't want to be in the relationship. They do want to it's be like- in a relationship and they want the closeness. It's just that there's a part of their nervous system that doesn't actually feel safe with the closeness. Yeah. Correct. Is that right? Correct. Yes. And what, yes. is, what is the, um, what, like, what do they think is going to happen? Like they think that the closest is going to happen and then they're going to die. Like, is that what it, My, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think at a surface level, you know, they're afraid they're going to lose their independence. I mean, that's, I would say that's the, some of the language, right. Um, they're going to lose their independence. They're going to lose their autonomy. I mean, I think that's, that's where some of the fear of commitment comes in, um, in our culture today, but consciously, I think it's a fear of, losing independence. I see. So the way that it would show up in their languaging might be like, I'm afraid of losing my independence when really underneath it might be, I'm afraid of losing myself. Like I'm yes. afraid of losing my yes. selfness. Yeah. I yes. think, um, cause I feel a little bit like, you know, someone who's been on the inside of this. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. remembering a guy that I dated where, um, I, I liked him. I knew that I wanted to, I, well, I knew that I wanted to have sex with him, on a regular basis. And I wanted it to be unprotected, which meant I wanted Mm -hmm. sexual monogamy, right? Like Mm -hmm. like, I feel like a lot of women are like, I want a boyfriend. And I was like, I want to have sex with this person regularly and have it be unprotected and, and like date them. Right. Right. In my world, this is how it showed up. And I remember, um, kind of resisting the label. Like I did, I wasn't really like, I want to be your, your girlfriend and I want you to be my boyfriend. And that was also partly cause I just wasn't sure he was the right guy for me. Like I, I right. really wasn't sure. Um, I knew right. I wanted the sex, but I really wasn't sure that this was like my partner. And mm-hmm. again, kind of like one of those vivid moments. Like I remember the first time he called me his girlfriend and I had this little like jolt, like a little bit of like discomfort. And mm-hmm. when I like think about that when I, when I feel into like, what was my fear? What was, you know, was going on? My fear was I get into a relationship with this man and I'm trapped and I, mm-hmm. like, this is an unconscious, mm-hmm. thing. not like I, I know I'm not actually trapped, but unconsciously I'm like, fuck, I'm trapped. And he is going to give me the silent treatment 
and be passive aggressive and be angry about things and not tell me, and I'm going to be trapped. Like that's going to be my life. I'm going to be in this awful place where he does the same things that my mom did. And this is unconscious. not something that I was like, let me just tell you why I don't want you to call me your girlfriend. This is like all happening in my body. I think, I think this is what part of what I'm checking out with you in the instant he calls me his girlfriend. I'm like, Oh my God, what happens when you know, what happens when I need to speak up for myself and I do. And then he withdraws is resentful, like all of those bad things. And I feel like I'm trapped. Like I can't leave. Like there was something about that idea of relationship that felt like, Oh my God, I'm not going to be able to leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You- Cause that was, that's like, that's the strategy that you, that you had to cope. Right. You mean when I was small? Right. Well, I kind of was trapped because I was dependent on mom. Yeah. Totally. Completely. I mean, that's the thing is we grow up and we become adults, but a lot of us never update these strategies, right? Like we were still functioning under the assumption that I'm five years old and I can't leave the house really. I like, I don't know how to feed myself. Like I, like all I can do is try to have mom not be mad at me anymore. That's my strategy. Like it's right. the only one. I don't have the strategy of like, listen, mom, this isn't working for me. Like, I think we really need to see a mediator. You know what I mean? Like there's no right. girl that can do no. that. And so we, no. and then as adults, we don't feel like we can do that. But I'm, I mean, I feel like this sort of brings us into the next part of this, which is how does someone that has this fear of engulfment, quote unquote, get over it? How do they move mm-hmm. on from it? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, I guess there's like, a, there's a lot of different, you know, ways into it but um it's interesting i feel like the biggest thing is what you were talking about earlier or what you've been saying right the fact that this stuff is unconscious is that's that needs to shift you need that somebody needs to shift it to see these things as conscious like you make need to them bring conscious. it to light exactly like you need to notice like oh there i am doing that deactivating strategy again of like you know, imagining that there's somebody even better out there than this woman who's like really great, you know, or, oh my God, there I am again, you know, saying I don't want to sleep over when I do want to be in this relationship. So maybe, you know, maybe I, maybe I can like push myself and talk myself, you know, there's a lot of self-talk involved, right? Like actually soothing and calming yourself down um, when I kind of, and recognizing it's like, okay, I'm afraid I'm afraid that I'm going to get, I'm going to get, lose, I'm going to lose myself. Like or, I'll really reassuring yourself. or I'll be trapped. Mm-hmm. Or I'll be trapped. I'll be trapped. Yep. And reassuring yourself that like you can get out. Like you are, you know, you are an adult woman. You can make a different choice. You are not trapped in anything. Uh, and in fact, you know, being close isn't, being close to this person is not the same as being close to, in your example, your mother. Like, I do not need to make this person my mother. I don't know. I don't know how he is going to react when I, you know, do something like I did with my mother. I have to give him a chance to see, can he be different than my mother? Yeah. Right. So, okay. So it sounds like part of the solution is literally just knowing about this. Like understanding that this is part of, you know, potentially part of your attachment system. Yes. And, yes. and some of the signs of that would be what, what would be some of the signs that this is part of your, your attachment pattern? 
Mm, that's you mentioned one, that which like, was sort of preferring casual sex and not quote unquote real relationships. Right. Um, you know, not actually depending on your partner for emotional needs, like never asking your partner for anything. That would be a sign. That would be an indicator like, hmm, okay, this might be, um, this might be a problem. You know, this might, this might be me. I mean, w- one of the easiest ways is, you know, to sort of figure out your attachment style is there's, there's plenty of online kind of, you know, questionnaires. The, the book that I often recommend to people, maybe you've read this book, Melanie, I'm, I'm assuming you have, but it's Attached. Have you read Attached? I've, yeah. I've skimmed Attached. I've read uh, a couple other attachment books. Okay. Okay. But so, you know, I, Attached is one I often recommend to people just because it's got a pretty easy, you know, set of questionnaires to kind of figure out like, where do you fall? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just some of the, if, if, if you're a listener to this podcast and you resonated with some of the deactivating strategies, you know, that I've shared or some of the qualities of somebody who's an avoidant attachment, you might have that as, you know, a core component of your attachment style. Mm. Yeah. We'll drop that book in the show notes. I can't remember who is attached by. I can't remember right now. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's Levine and Heller or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that I think. sounds right. Okay. I'll yeah. drop that one in the show notes. Um, okay. One, one of the biggest ways, one of the biggest ways to help uh, to sort of navigate this, this kind of attachment style is actually to date someone secure. So Mm -hmm. what they've shown, what they've shown with the research time and again is either if you're, if you've got an anxious avoidant or even a combo, if, if that kind of person dates a securely attached person, it helps the avoidant or the anxious person kind of update their scripts. Right. But in order to date someone that has secure attachment, you've got to do some work to get there. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. If you're still so unconscious that you're just like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like you got to do something to get there. You're not just going to randomly attract a securely attached person. That's right. That's right. That's right. I mean, maybe you are, but like most of the time, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a little bit of work has to be done to get to that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, you know, and I would say like a core one is the sort of de-emphasizing the kind of self-reliance and the desire to sort of be independent and actually work the dependency muscle, right? That might mean asking more friends for help or asking colleagues for help, but just kind of allowing yourself to like, you know, flex the dependency muscle a little bit more and, and, and then noticing your reactions to that. So this could be something as simple as like, would you be available to give me a ride back from the airport? Right. This yes. doesn't need to be massive, gigantic nope. dependency things. It nope. can be small things that the act of asking for help is pretty vulnerable. I know it's vulnerable yep. for me. I don't know a lot of people for whom it's totally comfortable. I think, you know, maybe people do get there. And if you have a lot of trust built up with a person, it's different. But just the what you're saying, what I'm hearing is the act of asking for help helps you stop being obsessed with independence to the point yes. where it's jeopardizing your relationships. Yes. Yeah. And you know, one, one area that I've experienced men being able to do this more is in a work context, you know, asking a mentor for help or asking for advice from a colleague, like that context is a place where that, that, you know, there's maybe there's just more social acceptance for them to feel like they can ask for help career wise. Mm, so it's kind of maybe an easier place to start is like, Hey, would you mm-hmm. go over this spreadsheet mm-hmm. with me 
I don't think I get all the nuances. And then you do that again and again, like you said, a muscle that you're building Mm -hmm. over time Mm -hmm. so that your nervous Mm -hmm. system becomes comfortable with, hey, look, I can ask for help and it can go well. Mm -hmm. Instead Mm -hmm. of, I ask for help and nothing happens. Is that what happened in in that kind of person's nervous system when they were small? Like nothing happened? It's either nothing happened or someone, you know, someone lost it. Someone like got really, no one was there to ask for help. Okay. Um, I mean, the attach, yeah, the attachment system is like, you know, when, when a child is in need, how responsive is, responsive, reliable is, are the parents? you know, a parental kind of people in a parental role, maybe it's childcare providers, maybe it's dad, but um, how responsive and reliable do they expect people to be? Okay. Um, And a lot of this attachment stuff is when you're zero to six. So you might not have any conscious memories of it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. It's very true. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I guess I also want to say that, um, yes, attachment starts when we're little. Um, but, but there's a lot of data that shows that these patterns can 100% change. You know, it's not just when you were a kid. It's, it's romantic relationships can change attachment patterns. Um, a relationship with a therapist can, can change attachment patterns. Um, yeah, and, and, it's, and it's not just the responsiveness of parent. You know, it's, um, there's genetics, there's some genetics involved in terms of like evolution and kind of, you know, why might some people have been, um, why might that have been an evolutionary advantage to be avoidantly attached? You know, so, so it's not, it's not just, and the temperament of a kid, you know, if a kid is really easy to soothe, it's a lot easier for a stressed out mother to soothe them than a kid who's not, you know, who's a little more colicky or something. Mm, um, yeah. So those things interact. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's important what you just said about attachment styles can shift or change. Like, for example, you can become more securely attached by having a good therapist or some kind of relationship in your life where you can depend on this person. You can ask them for help. They are responsive. You know, our our healthy friendships can help us tremendously in this regard, like it doesn't always have to be a romantic relationship that helps us. Nope. Okay. I think that's, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of us might depend on a romantic relationship or think that's where we need to, you know, learn boundaries or things like that. But actually we can practice almost all relational skills outside of that realm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Is there anything else that you would say helps um, someone move past this pattern? Mm, other than things we taught about, talked about. Oh, I mean, one other thing that is, um, that can be helpful is there's some studies that were done that, that sort of proved that avoidant people who are avoidantly attached still have the kind of desire for closeness operating. And, and the experiments involved kind of distracting the person from the task. And so that's actually something that I recommend sometimes to clients is, you know, if you're somebody who is kind of got, got some fears about the closeness, then some of the, you know, dates where you're like looking, you know, looking into each other's eyes and it's so intense, you know, interpersonally intense, like maybe that's not always the best strategy for someone who's avoidantly attached. Like the better thing might be, 
go for a walk where you're sort of almost like distracted by doing something else, but then you can sort of have some easeful conversation or make dinner or, you know, just do, do an activity because sometimes the activity can, can take a little bit of the pressure off and the guard can come down a little bit. Mm, That's interesting. And is that also true once that person is in the relationship? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like if things are getting intense or if you're noticing it, like what, what happens in the person's system when they're noticing the closeness, if they have become more conscious of the pattern, when they're unconscious of the pattern, let's say closeness happens and they start nitpicking or they start criticizing, Mm -hmm. right? Like they unconsciously go to the Mm -hmm. the, uh, deactivating strategy. If they're conscious Mm -hmm. of, of it, what, what can they say or do or, or what? when they're noticing like, like, and what do they Mm -hmm. notice? They're like, Oh my God, closeness. I'm feeling scared. Like, what does it look like? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, maybe they notice, maybe they say to themselves, like they're talking to their friend and they're sort of doing the same thing that they always do about like, well, you know, like this little one thing is not so perfect or not so great. And maybe they, you know, maybe they can say out loud, like, okay, I just, I just said that. And, you know, I said that I'm actually trying to notice my strategies for kind of, you know, keeping a distance. And I feel like maybe that's one of them, you know, or in, and I bring up the example of a friend to like enlist friends in helping with this, right? Because sometimes friends can see it when we can't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, sharing it in that moment with the friend, like, okay, I think I'm seeing this. So, okay, I'm conscious of it. I don't really want to keep doing this. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of think of the positive things about this person as opposed to going through the one, you know, the sort of nitpicking on this person. Yeah. And maybe also even like self-soothing because if that's a deactivating strategy, there's some part of us that's scared of engulfment. There's something that's like, maybe it can also be, I am an adult. I don't Mm -hmm. have to stay in this relationship if it's not working for me. I'm not trapped like mm-hmm. some self-soothing reminders uh, in addition to just noticing the the pattern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I would say like a self-soothing for an avoidantly attached might even be, you know, I know, I know that feeling trapped is part of like my, you know, my system and my protection that sort of came from, you know, a time that, that isn't, it isn't now. Like this, I am not with my mother right now. I'm not with my father, whoever it was that the person knows, you know, is sort of, they're afraid of, like, to kind of remind themselves, like, this is not my mom. Mm. This is a totally different person. Yeah. I, I can, I can give them the benefit of the doubt. I can give them a chance to be different than my mom. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if I know I my really fe- start feeling like I did back then, I can leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm hesitating a little bit to sort of totally co-sign on the like, and I can leave because um, even even keeping that as a strategy of like, oh, I can leave, it's a deactivating strategy. So then how would you self-soothe if you're afraid of being trapped? Like to to address that part of the part of it. Mm -hmm. Well, if if part of being trapped is... um, is the fear that, you know, you're going to be mistreated and like, so you're going to have to stay stuck in being mistreated. Yeah. You know, that of course, like 
if, you know, of course I can, if I'm being mistreated and I'm being abused in this relationship, I do not need to stay in this relationship. Yes. Of course, of course. And if, you know, if my, if, if, if my needs are not being met in a, you know, reasonable way in relationship, like, of course, I don't have to stay in this relationship. Yes. But, but just using, you know, saying like, oh, I'm just going to leave at every time I feel scared. That's a, the kind of, I guess the carte blanche of that feels like a deactivating strategy. Well, there's a difference between I'm going to leave and I'm telling myself if things, if I feel mistreated, I can leave. That I have yes, the choice. Yes. That I have the choice Absolutely. available to me. Yeah, that's Absolutely. all I meant. Not like, ugh, I'm out of here every time. But just the self-soothing. Yeah. Like, if if I feel mistreated, if I really start to feel awful, I always have the choice that I can make that choice. I can leave. Whereas, yeah. you know, yeah, and, we didn't right. have that choice right. when we were really small. That didn't make no. sense. Yeah. No, no. And I and I think I'm clear. I'm I'm qualifying the like the, you know, being mistreated or really not getting your needs met, those feel like, yeah, of course, those are reasons to leave a relationship. But, but just being uncomfortable sometimes isn't necessarily a reason to leave a relationship. Right. Yeah. Like just feeling trapped, even like you might feel trapped, but you're not actually trapped. And Mm -hmm. it's just a really, you're just, it's like a really unpleasant feeling you're having. (laughs) Um, but but the person's, the person's not mistreating you. You're not getting abused, you know, um, you know, yes, in this moment you're having some kind of conflict. And so, you know, things aren't, things aren't like going smoothly. They're just really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, And that's part of why therapy is helpful, right? Because you have a safe mm -hmm. grounded person to Mm -hmm. talk through something because when, if you're not quite sure, you're like, I don't know, is, you know, this cross the line. Is this just me being uncomfortable? you know, right. should I stay or should I go? Like that song, like it's really good yes. to have yes. a yes. part of this part of why it's good to have a therapist is to have someone that can help parse that out. You know, you can also have your friends, but there's something, there's something special about a therapeutic relationship. Yeah. All right. We're going to start to wrap this up. Um, I'm wondering if there are any last intuitive things you want to share on the topic. And then also where people can find you if they're interested in, in knowing more about mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think the one thing that I want to just like us talking about this really normalize. And I mean, I feel like you being so vulnerable and real about your experience is sort of part of this, but like, there's no better attachment style than some other, like, this is just what human, this is just how human beings are. And, you know, these, these strategies have they 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 evolved to protect and there there's a there's a wisdom in them when they occurred and they just might not be helping somebody get what they want now but I just really want to like normalize and validate and like not not leave anybody feeling like there's any judgment in how this stuff plays out like yeah. this is just human beings and that's really important it's really important yeah, that's I really like that, especially like I said since I think there is there is judgment there can be judgment attached to fear of commitment. And I yeah. just feel like these are related and and if you are someone who, you know, experiences fear of commitment or you've related with someone like that, I do think it's important to normalize it and a lot of the time it does come from deep deep wounds or deep, you know, wanting to be loved. 
that it's not yes. like, I, I don't want to be there for you. So I don't want to commit like that's yeah. yeah okay. Sometimes that's the case, but a lot of times it's something deeper than that. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So how um, does someone yeah. find you that's interested? Yeah. If anybody is, is wanting to find me, um, my website is long, www.drlauracaspertherapysf.com. Um, phone is probably the best way to reach me. So that's a little shorter. Um, you can email from the website or phone text. Text is also fine. Is 415-734-1969. Oh, that's cool. I, that's great that people can text you. That's so easy. We'll also yeah. drop all that in the show notes. So you guys don't have to worry if you don't write it down right now. <laughs> okay. Um, great. I think that was really um, illuminating. And like I said at the beginning, I'm really interested in anyone that has feedback or if this brought something up for you, I'd really like to hear from you. So dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. Um, I'm really curious. I think, like I said, this is something important that I don't really think we talk about enough. So I would love to hear from anyone that has anything to share. And we will wrap that up now. That wraps up another episode of Dear Men. Thank you for listening. If you want to reach out, we would love to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Dear Men Podcast. That's at Dear Men Podcast. Or Facebook, we have a group, Dear Men Podcast. We also have an email address, dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to join the Big Sexy Dataset, the community of people who regularly respond to the surveys that we talk about on this podcast, just email us at that address, dearmenpodcast at gmail.com, and we will set you up. Have a sexy day. <laughs>